Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Let's get started. It is a stone-cold miracle that I am here today, as opposed to in the hospital or as opposed to in the morgue. And I've often thought, I believe in angels, and I've often thought that there's been times that, that there's kind of like an angel on my shoulder who's sort of watching out for me. I mean, there's been too many times that you sit there and you think, oh my gosh, you know, this this could have been really, really bad, and it, it, it just happened. Story I always tell about this, I'm in college, and I was on the college debate team, and we had a weekend off, and so a bunch of us were drive. we got hired, we were college debaters, we got hired to drive um, into Iowa and um, work at some... Um, high school debate tournament we're all gonna be judges and so it was a it was a quick way to make you know 50 or 100 bucks a piece which was big money back then so we all piled in i was driving i at the time had a chrysler newport that's what i was driving my father had given to me it was the land yacht one of the biggest cars imaginable so we've got like oh seven or eight people in crammed into this car and we're all driving and it was one of these it must have been october november it was cold i'm coming around this two-lane highway i hit some glare ice and the car spins out. I lose control of the car. So it's spinning like out of control. And, and everybody's going, yay, yay. They, and I'm like, we're going to all die. Finally, I get control of the car and, and straighten it out. And literally about five seconds later, never forget this, this old home bread truck. Well, old home was one of the big companies out there at the time, comes driving by. And I remember sitting there thinking, if that bread truck, if if that guy driving the bread truck hadn't stopped to kiss his daughter in the morning or have that extra sip of coffee instead of, oh, wasn't that cool? We just spun out. This is seven or eight college kids died on the highway. And and I've always, I, I remember, honest to goodness, that's probably 40 years ago. I remember that feeling today as vividly as I remembered it 40 plus years ago. I mean, it just, it just, it sticks with you. And maybe if you're like me, you've had other situations where you say, man, I can't believe I walked away from that. And and you did. So Saturday morning, I am driving from, I live in Ozaki County. So I, I'm driving, had to go downtown for something. So it's about 1030, quarter to 11, maybe 11 o'clock in the morning. And I'm heading south on 43. And it is south of Brown Deer Road, but before you get to Good Hope Road, if, if you can imagine it. So it's Saturday morning. The traffic is not bumper to bumper, but it, it's relatively busy. I mean, you're, you're able to move freeway speeds, but it's not like you're the only person on the freeway. There's lots of cars on the freeway, and the speed limit there is 55. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing better than 55, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I, I am moving with the flow of traffic at, as is everybody. There's gaps between cars and things like that. So everybody's moving along. I, I look in my rear view mirror and all ways back and maybe I'm like a quarter mile to the south of Brown Deer Road in, in, in my rear view mirror, I see this black car. It's an, it's an auto 
and I, I look up at it and I see it is it's moving. I, I mean, if if I'm going 65, this is going 90 if it's going a mile. And this is like 1045 in the morning. And I watch the car swing. In, I mean, the car is swerving back and forth to get around cars. And like I say, there's lots of cars. It swings into the left lane. It swings into the right lane. It swings into the left lane. And I'm kind of watching this because I'm thinking this car is really coming up fast. And I, I'm wondering, is it being chased or or whatever? And And so... There's a car to the left of me. So I'm in the right lane, car to the left of me. There, there is nowhere, there is nowhere to go. I watch as this car comes behind me and I'm thinking, this guy is going to hit me. There is no way that this car is going to hit me. And I'm trying to look and see and, and the car is being driven. It, it's, it looks like it's somebody who's like 14 years old. I mean, there, it, and I guess it, it could have been a little old lady, but it wasn't a little old lady. But it's just barely above the steering wheel. This car is coming up on me, and then at the very – and I'm, I'm kind of figuring I'm going to get rear-ended at 70 miles an hour, and what are we going to do? At the very last minute, the car swerves onto the shoulder – of the road, going 90 miles, this is side, shoulder of the freeway, going 90 miles an hour. I watch it kind of fishtail. It gets past me and then swerves back onto the freeway in front of me, in front of the car that's kind of parallel to me into the left lane, kind of goes over onto the left shoulder. And there's really not much shoulder there and continuing w- without any sort of brake lights at all. And I'm looking at the back of the car and I, I, I can't. I, it's a car. There's no license plate. Um, there appeared to be, I thought it was two kids. But this is, I mean, I, my my identification isn't very good because I'm thinking we're going to die. So then I watched the car. It, it's now in the left lane. It swerves back to the right lane, cutting off the car that is in front of me in the right lane, and then goes to pass another car and, again, pulls onto the shoulder of the road, passes the car, again, at 90 miles an hour. And this is all, I mean, it's happening kind of instantaneously. And I, I first of all, I'm thinking, my, my God, we, we should all, somebody should be dead, starting with the person that's driving like an idiot. I mean, no license plates. It looks like it's kids that are driving. I, I will bet you my bottom dollar that this car is stolen. Don't know. But then I watch the car and and I'm at this point in time I'm thinking okay I should call 911 but I'm not sure what exactly I'm going to report because I really don't have a very good description of it but I watch the vehicle get off on the good road I'm going south get off on the good hope road exit again going 90 miles an hour passes swerves in front of a car blows through a red line heads west on good hope that is the last I saw of it and now I I admit for the next you know several hours into yesterday morning I'm kind of watching the news to see whether or not there's some car crash somewhere because that's if that did not happen, if the people driving this particular vehicle did not either crash the vehicle um, into something or someone, it is only but for the, the grace of God. And again, my assumption is what I was watching was a couple kids driving a, a stolen car at a high rate of speed in a fashion that erratic would not be a, a fair description of it. But, I mean, I remember continuing on thinking, you, you know, it's a miracle that that people are still alive because I, honest to goodness, I am not exaggerating this, when that car pulled behind me at 90 miles an hour with nowhere to go and no intention of slowing down, I, I'm thinking they're going to ram into me. And, and then 
I don't know what happens when I get rammed into at 70 miles an hour. And all this is flashing through my head. I, I remember the people in Kenosha who were killed, the, the whole family a few months ago when you had the drunk driver going really high rate of speed who rear-ended rear them. And, and again, all's well that's end well, ends well and behind the microphone and things like that. But it, it's like... My God, you take your life into your own hands on a regular basis. And, and this, this is Saturday morning, you know, Milwaukee County. It, it's, you know, 1030 in the morning or 11 o'clock in the morning. And, and yet you see this type of stuff going on. It's not like it's two o'clock in the morning and there's a bunch of, you know, gangsters that are drag racing. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, that's my story from the last two days. My guess is I am not the only person who just, even in the the near past, has experienced something like that. Just flat-out craziness. Like I say, this struck me as it was being kid. It was probably kids, and it was probably a stolen car. That's my sense. But I, I'm watching this happen, and it was it was a miracle that it wasn't either me that was hit or the car next to me or the car in front of me or the car three in front of me because of the way these people were driving the car. And, and, and they're, they're off, and no, I didn't call 911 because by the time this whole thing happened, I, the, the car was already off heading west on Goodbound, Good Hope Road, and I, I had a lousy description. I'm kind of kicking myself for not doing that, but, but nevertheless, it was out there. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is stuff like this happening to you, and is it happening on a relatively regular basis? We discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Jeff, I might be biased based on my driving experiences, but the car have Illinois plates. No, car had no plates, which tells me why it was... My guess is it was stolen, like I say, and there's what I perceive to be kids behind the wheel. That's all I could tell because the the face, the the driver's head was just like barely over the the steering wheel. Jeff, I'm in outside sales. I see this kind of driving almost on a daily basis. I pray every day that I will return home safely. Um, Yeah, no kidding. 414-799-1620. John in Milwaukee. John, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Yeah, I had the same experience you had. Uh, on the freeway as well, I saw the car come up behind me and blew past me and it was fishtailing. And this was during uh, during the rain, during a rainy period. And the car had gotten so far ahead I couldn't see it anymore. But within about 30 seconds, I see a lot of cars slowing down, brake lights going on. Yep. And then I see car parts on the freeway. Yep. And it turns out this car lost control, hit the wall. Mm-hmm. The driver was ejected from the yeah. auto. Of course, they're not wearing seat belts. They know better. They don't. Correct. Not, don't not wear seat belts, uh, right? Yeah. And uh, what was like you said, you you're watching the news to see what if anything had happened, but in this case, it happened right almost in front of us. I what really was so bizarre was the fact that as much traffic as there was, people were going out of their way to drive around her body instead of oh. getting out and trying to help. Oh, well, I pulled my I pulled my truck, stopped, got out, realized there was nothing to do yeah. for her. But at least you stopped. Was. No, no, thanks for the call. I, I get what I, I'm not I mean try to imagine this this car at ninety miles an hour on the freeway passed me on the shoulder. I mean on the shoulder. 
uh, because you couldn't pass in the left lane because there's a car next to me in the left lane. It passed in the shoulder at 90 miles an hour. And if you can picture that particular area, there's a narrow little shoulder and it goes down into a ditch and the car is kind of fishtailing a little bit. And, and it's like, oh, my God. And then it swerves back, goes across two lanes, ends up kind of on the shoulder on the left side, then goes back. And it's like how I don't know how that person I don't know how that person kept control of the car, and I certainly don't know how they did it without hitting, again, me, the guy next to me, the people in front of me. But but you see this on a regular basis. 414-799-1620. Scott in Greendale. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I'm glad to hear that you're okay. <laughs> me too. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. About a week ago, a week and a half ago now, I was heading to O'Hare Airport where I work at about uh, 345 in the morning, and I was in the left lane. And uh, I was going to be passing a truck, and that big semi-truck started to come over right into the right-hand side. And I thought, oh, first, you know, I'm like, you know what, he's probably just sleeping or, you know, kind of getting a little bit drowsy. So I'm anticipating him swinging back over to the right. right. Never did. And it was right at that part where the lanes start to come on down near the Steinhoffels, as you know, right. in that sure. road area. And I had a concrete barrier to my left, and oh. I just slammed on the brakes, and he took out the entire right side of my car. But the long story short of it was I walked away from it completely unscathed. The car was totaled, um, you know, but... Uh, well, I'm glad was, you're here to make that phone call, Scott, because yeah, that's... Exactly. Well, exactly. Thank it, you. Thank, no, thanks. I mean, again, that's... By the way, I, I'm not... I mean, I'm going to get on my high horse quickly. That, you know, the, the last caller was talking about the guy ejected. This, especially nowadays, it is so important to wear your seatbelts. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to lecture and all this, but, but the truth of the matter is, I, the, 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 the auto safety, the cars have gotten a lot safer, you know, the way they're constructed and all, but, but they're all based on all these car safety things working together. And it starts with, with you having a seatbelt and a shoulder harness on. And, and that's, I, and I know whenever I talk about this, there's always somebody that sends me a text or wants to call and say, well, you're preaching about the seatbelts. I know a friend who knows a guy who had a cousin who had a girlfriend and, and, you know, they they knew somebody who was in an accident and they were thrown from the car and they survived and they would have been dead if they'd been in the car. And I will consider seed that that that's one out of a thousand but that's one out of a thousand and i don't know about you because i'm a betting guy if if ninety nine hundred ninety nine times out of a thousand the the result is going to be if you don't have your seatbelt on you know you're going to be in big trouble i i'm i'm taking those odds 414-799-1620 let's talk to ken on the north side ken you're on wtmj hey excellent show as always i'll try to be real brief um I live on the north side. I accept this as a daily use of life as far as um, driving up and down Capitol Drive. I, I drive from 100th and Capitol uh, down to about 35th. Right. And my second point is is that uh, I did have a confrontation with Mr. Morales, and I, and I tried to talk with him down at City Hall. They are not enforcing the no plates. There are so many plates, and it's not a racial thing. In the Central City more. How do we have cars consistently with no license plate? Right. I can't identify it. Right. And I did confront Morales with it. He said nothing. And so, and, you're, and my experience every day is there again. Yeah. I walk up, I have a beautiful set of twins, and I've been almost hit a thousand times, but I accept it as a way of life. But I did confront Morales on this, 
And this right. is why I think it should not be the police chief. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I, I do think it is reasonable to say, okay, you know, again, I'm assuming the no plates in this car, I, I'm, I'm assuming it was a stolen car. I don't know that, but I'm assuming it was a stolen car. Um, but, I mean, even... I, I couldn't tell you what kind of car it was other than it, it was black in color, but I, I couldn't really tell you what sort of color, car it was, and there's no plates on it. Becky in Menominee Falls. Becky, you're on WTMJ. Hi, I'm glad you're okay, too. You. Um, <laughs> I drive between Kenosha and Shore, um, um, she- uh, Sheboygan quite often, and my worst times driving are usually to Whitefish Bay. From about 136th and uh, Silver Spring or Capitol uh-huh. down to Whitefish Bay, it is notorious for red lighters driving through red lights. Right. I usually take a couple of seconds before I'm it turns green oh, yeah. to you know to watch to make sure there's nobody you know flying oh, yeah. down the road. And people will honk at me. I'm like, dude, I'm just waiting a little <laughs> bit. Because right. I don't, my life is in jeopardy on these roads. No, I know. I mean, Becky, thanks. I know exactly what you mean. I've told this story before. There, one of the way, the way I principally come to work, um, is through Estabrook Park. Which is to the, the east of where we are now. And to get there, I have to cross Hampton. It's a controlled intersection. But I, I have learned that if you're crossing Hampton and, and the light turns green, you do not go. Because I, I swear, at least once a week, I'm not exaggerating, you know, you will see somebody blow through that red light and you go, man, if I had gone when the light turned green, I would have gotten, you know, broadsided. So you do, you're, you're right. You sit there and you count one Mississippi, two Mississippi, you look both ways. But bottom line is, it's crazy out there. You, you gotta be careful. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Welcome back to the show. Okay, so this morning I, I accepted a speaking engagement. I don't do that that much anymore. I particularly don't do it before shows, but this was kind of old home week. It's a conference going on downtown with law enforcement people and people from the insurance industry, including some folks, lots of listeners, but some folks that I know from another life. So it's on auto theft and things like that. So yesterday afternoon I begin assembling actually doing preparation believe it or not for for the speech and assembling all sorts of interesting things so I, I i so i have all these interesting auto theft facts that i thought i would share but we'll do this in the form of kind of an eric Billstadt and grew are you guys ready do do you know your uh-uh. auto theft facts now we'll see all right what is okay now this this data is 2017 nationwide what is the most stolen type of vehicle Honda Civic. Okay, Honda Civic. You want to weigh in? Toyota Corolla. Toyota Corolla. Nope, nope, nope. Ding, did Bill Stat right? Honda Civic. Ah. Most Now, this is nationwide. Number two is Honda Accord. And then number three are Ford and Chevy pickups, interchangeable. And number five is the Toyota Camry. So, okay, so Honda Civic, that's nationwide. Wisconsin, what is the most, 2017, what was the most stolen vehicle in 2017 in Wisconsin. Hint, it's not a Honda Civic. You want to go first? The Ford pickup? Ford pickup? I'll say the Camry. No, Dodge Caravan. Uh, you know what? The, okay. Yep. The, oh, why, do you th- you, why do you think the Dodge Caravan? Well, I, I recall hearing that now. Oh, I, I, you know, actually, my theory is that more and more, especially in urban areas like Milwaukee, there's more and more of these rolling drug houses. You know, mm-hmm. Back when I used to oh, yeah. chase drug dealers, you, you know, they'd operate out of houses. Now, they'd move the houses, but now more and more of these drug dealers operate out of these kind of rolling vehicles, yep. you know, and you, you're driving a stolen car for two weeks, and 
I, I don't know. I mean, I think the, uh, you know, you've got the Dodge Caravan. It's roomy. You know, you can put a lot of drugs and stuff in there. So Dodge Caravan, most commonly stolen vehicle in Wisconsin. Okay. Which holiday is the number one day for car thefts in the country? Again, nationwide numbers. Which holiday? I'll say Christmas. Christmas. Bah humbug. So you think Christmas Day is when most cars are stolen? I'm trying to think of a holiday where everybody, people are traveling a lot. Okay, all right. You, Leaving you, their cars you say Christmas. I was thinking New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. That was my other guess. Yeah, second. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, Christmas is about as wrong as you can be because actually of all the holidays, Christmas Day is the day the least number of cars are stolen. New Year's Day, on the other hand, Eric, is the number that's one the day. One. Yeah, it's New New Year's Day is the now I assume also that's that's New Year's Day, so I assume it starts at midnight. So it it's you know, but New Year's sure. Day is the number one day for car thefts nationwide. Christmas Day is least. All right, this is a, a piece of trivia that I found interesting. The number two, and I won't ask you guys this question because I would never have gotten it. The sec the the, the holiday that the second most cars are stolen. Now, I, I, I was thinking, I mean, you could make an argument New Year's Eve or something like that. President's Day in February. <laughs> I, 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 I have no, right. I, I'm just, I. I it's not I, even a bank holiday. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I tell you, you just better watch your car come February, what is it, February 20th or something this year. The number two day in the country. For car thefts is a holiday is president. So it's always a Monday, right? That'd be a Monday in winter. I, just trying to figure out the theory. As I, to why. Okay. I I just I, anyway. I I just report them. Um, okay, all right. The metropolitan market. Okay, nationwide statistics. The metropolitan market that has the highest per capita auto theft rate. So not not the you know not the most cars numerically stolen, but Cars stolen as compared to population. Okay. Okay. Grew. Hmm. Oh, this, this one's really tough. I'm trying to think. Uh, Atlanta? Atlanta. Actually, somebody in the audience this morning guessed that. Actually, somebody in the audience this morning said Atlanta. Eric? I don't want to say Milwaukee. It's not Milwaukee. Um, no, so not I will Milwaukee. say Newark. Newark. Well, not a bad guess. Actually, interestingly enough, the market in the country where the most cars per capita are stolen, Albuquerque, New Mexico. You know, which, you know, I mean, the home of Breaking Bad and the meth heads and stuff. Per capita, Albuquerque is number one. Um, Anchorage, Alaska is number two. Really? Per per capita. Again, you know, not the most total cars, but the total cars per population. Are those all rental cars? Is that why? I don't know. Anchorage, Alaska. And then this next seven metropolitan areas are all in california so it's albuquerque it's anchorage and then it's california the next seven counties are are all in in california up and down the west coast um i know that's just okay um the states all right the states with the most vehicle thefts not per capita but just the most vehicle thefts group well, I mean, California, right? That'd be a good guess. Yeah, California, nothing even close. California, um, Texas, number two. Florida, number three. The District of Columbia. Now, I know that's not a state, but D.C. is number four. 
and Georgia is number five. So DC, DC, that's such oh, a small area, though. DC, I'm, I, it, it is. And uh, okay, let's see. Twenty. See, I was fascinated by all. Once I got into this, it's like my my wife is saying, "What are you doing?" And so I'm prepping for the speech. She said, "You're writing all this stuff down." And then every time I found one of these numbers, it struck me as being interesting. And then I wanted to find more numbers and stuff. Into the wormhole. Just, yes. Well, it, okay, but that's kind of how my mind works. Okay, um, the nationwide, the average. If you're looking at county by county or community by community, the average. Car theft. The rate is on average two hundred and twenty-eight cars stolen per one hundred thousand people. Okay. So if you just two hundred twenty-eight stolen per one hundred thousand people, would you guess? Would you like to guess in Wisconsin? Is it greater than that? Is it more than two hundred twenty-eight, or is it less than two hundred twenty-eight? I'm going to say less. You're going to say less. I'll take the over, sure. You're, you're gonna so, take, someone, someone's going to be right over. here, right? <laughs> Somebody's, well, there's no money involved, but yeah, somebody's <laughs> going to be right. No, Gru, you are right. Matter of there fact, the go. the theft rate in Wisconsin, 413 oh my gosh. per 100,000 in comparison to 228. So we're, we're pushing double the limit. Wow. The, the, we're pushing double the number, which tells you uh, that's it. Total vehicles stolen in 2017 was about 6,500. Um, Milwaukee, 60% of the thefts took place on the north side. Here's something that I found to be interesting. The median age of, of a car thief when they're caught, the median age, so half above, half below. Medium a, median age was 18, which tells you that there is this enormous number of juveniles mm-hmm. that are out there stealing cars. I mean, if, if half of the car thieves are, are they're, they're caught, it's committed by juveniles. So, um, da, 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 da. it's not just a Milwaukee problem. In Madison this year, car thefts are up thirty-three percent, same time from last year. So it's um, it's a problem. And and the interesting thing is, in the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County, your car insurance rates are dramatically higher than most other places it certainly in the in the state um because to the uh, i have the numbers here um dramatically higher because um again so many cars get stolen here you end up paying a lot more for um you get you end up paying a lot right. more for your insurance yep. so yeah, that was this like little car theft thing. So, um, and one of the things that they're finding is about a third. This, this is our public service thing of the day. About a third of the cars that get stolen, it's because people leave their key fobs in the cars. Is that right? Yes. How is that still a thing? Uh, well, I mean, now, now I have my, my numbers go back over the last three years, but you know, but total. But yeah, it's um, yes, yes, yes. It's it's key fobs. For example, all right. Got the numbers. All right. In 2018, nationwide, about 750,000 cars were stolen. Okay. All right. They estimate that about a third of that, over the last three years, 16 through 18, they say 230,000 vehicles were stolen. Um, and it's because key fobs left in cars. So does that mean they are locking their car with the key fob in there, knowing that they can open the door with their, with like a, a code or something? I'm just trying to think I, I don't why know. you would said leave that, that in far, the car. Key fobs were in the car. Key fobs were in the car. So, we I remember hearing stories, especially when I first moved here, of people like just leaving their car running in the driveway. Oh, yeah, that's a common thing. Which just doesn't... 
Well, I, I mean, it is Wisconsin. You used to always, now, in fact, you always used to be able to do that. You just, things have changed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it used to be that, that people did that on a regular basis. Now you, you can't. But, yeah, people would leave that. No, it's key fobs. So I guess if that's the takeaway from this, and then the other thing they find is um, even leaving your car unlocked in the driveway, what would happen is people could get in your car and they use your garage door opener, yep, yep. open up the garage, and then get into your house. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's kind of off Do to the, the races. Door, but yeah. bottom line is the car theft is, as a problem isn't going away. Average, um, average dollar loss, $8,400. Um, so that's speeder cars being stolen, expensive cars being stolen. But bottom line is... We are above the national average around here, and this is not one where you want to be leading the leading the pack. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Coming up in about 15 minutes, you cannot normalize this stuff. And I don't care whether it's done on the right or the left. You can't normalize it. We will discuss that. Then in a little bit, I admit I'm fascinated about this story in California I, I, I a lot of things that I predicted last week are coming to fruition, and I'm kind of curious as to how you would react. So that's all coming up in just a few minutes. Quick auto theft story. One of the, the my frustrations that I was sharing with this group today is the fact that I, I don't think judges and prosecutors take auto theft as seriously as as they should. It's viewed as, well, it's a property crime, but, you know, most times there's insurance, so it's the insurance company that's going to get stuck with this. So, you know, yes, you will be inconvenienced when your car is stolen, but at the end of the day, you know, you'll be made sort of whole. You know, you're, you're going to have a deductible and you're going to be inconvenienced, but we don't want to throw the book at the people that are stealing cars, which I think is, is absolutely the wrong way to approach this. But I always tell th- this story that... You know, it's almost like if something like this, and I'm certainly not wishing this, but if this would happen to, say, more judges, maybe the attitude would change. I had a friend who was a Milwaukee County Circuit judge years ago, and he was a very not on the bench anymore, hasn't been on the bench for a while, but for a long while. Very, very fastidious. He, you know, when he would go out in public, he, he'd always have on expensive suits and nice pressed shirts and his hair would be perfectly in place. He was that kind of guy. He, that, that's kind of the guy he was. And he drove nice cars. And I remember, this is probably the early to mid-80s probably, he was so proud because I ran into him and he had just purchased, when I saw him, a, a brand new Lincoln Continental. And this is back in the 80s, and it was Lincoln and Cadillacs. And this this thing, it was it was a high-end luxury car, and it was fully tricked out. It had everything that you would want on a luxury car, and he was so very proud of it. So what he had it. Okay, I saw him after he had it for a week or two, and he actually showed me the car. Hey, Jeff, look at this car. Isn't that cool? It's great. You know, that, that, that's wonderful, Judge. And then what happened is this is a true story. About a week Later, So he'd only had the car two or three weeks. He's on the bench. Three Milwaukee police officers walk into his courtroom, and they kind of, like, try to get his attention. So he takes a break in the court proceedings, and they go back into chambers, and they say, Judge, where's your car? And he said, well, I mean, where my car? And the the judges at the time had this parking lot kind of across the street behind the courthouse, next to the courthouse. And he said, well, it's it's parked in the judge's parking lot. And they said, "Uh uh-huh. He said, Judge... Did you lend your car to anybody? And he said, of course I didn't lend my car to anybody. And they say, well, Judge, 
your your brand new Lincoln Continental has, has just been used in the armed robbery of the Chapman store up at Bayshore. Bayshore, there used to be like a Chapman's associated with that. Would you know anything about it? You go, no, I don't. You got to be wrong. So they run out and they go to the judge's parking lot and sort of th- these guys had stolen the car out of the judge's parking lot and used it for the armed robbery. Now, here's the other kind of you know, sort of funny aside in a way. Insurance companies, I don't know if, if the policies still read this way, but but back in the day, what would happen is if your car is stolen, they won't replace it for 30 days. It has to be gone for 30 days. And then after 30 days, they will replace it. But before that, you're kind of, you know, they'll pay for a rental car and stuff, but you won't get it new. So my buddy, he's just watching the calendar, the judge, go by day after day after day, waiting for day 30 so he can replace it. Honest to God, true story. Day 29, they find the car. And it's in an alley in the inner city of Milwaukee. And to hear him tell it, there are there's heroin needles all in it and you know people have been using it for god knows what you know for the last 30 days they find the car so the insurance company says hey they found the car we're we're not going to scrap it we're going to we're going to fix it so you know they pull out all the seats and they say we're going to make it as good as new okay so you're talking to my friend the judge who's just i mean this guy uh, again really expensive suits and things like that so they they take his car and they replace everything in it and, you know, give it to him supposedly good as new. I run into him three weeks later. I said, well, how's the car? He says, I sold it. I said, what do you mean you sold it? He said, I couldn't drive it. He said, I just, I knew what was going on in the front seat. I knew what was going on in the back seat. I don't care if they completely redid this. I couldn't drive it. So I said, he sold it at a $10,000 loss, as it turned out, I, or whatever the number was. But it was just like, I, I couldn't do it. I, you know, I just couldn't drive away. So the end, sto- end of the story is, from that moment on, if you were a car thief, you did not want to be in this particular judge's courtroom. Because then it wasn't just a property crime or a victimless crime. Every car thief that appeared in front of him moving forward, I think he looked at him and figured, this guy could have been the guy that stole my car. So, again, I I don't encourage bad things on judges or anything like that, but it was sort of interesting. Once you've been through this and been victimized, your attitude completely and totally changes on that. Go figure. All right, when we come back, I don't care if it comes from the right or left. This is not normal, and it should not be normalized. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Look, I don't care if it's Republican or Democrat. I don't care if it's pro-Trump or anti-Trump. There are some things that should not be minimized and should not be normalized. And and one of the tests I I always try to do on this show is I try to say, and this is something that is not unique. It is something that I've been doing for the, you know, 20 plus years I've been doing talk radio. It's all right. If you have a, a side in politics and if the other side did something like this, how would you react? If the left, if George Bush was the president and the left did something like this, how would you react? And the left did something like this directed towards George Bush. How would you react? If 
Um, Barack Obama, the right did something like this towards Barack Obama. How would you react? If Obama did this towards a challenger, how would you react? And I think you have to call it like you see it. And there's something that, that happened over the weekend that I think, you know, bears discussion. And it bears condemnation because it just can't be normalized, or at least shouldn't be normalized, even in today's overheated world of politics. Now, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, do you know? Do you ever see the movie Kings, Kingsman, The Secret Service? I have seen it. You have seen it, right? It's um, it's based on a comic book. They, they've had two. There was the original one, and then there was the sequel. In my opinion, they're really bad show. They're really. They're. I. I did you like it? I enjoyed the first one. I saw the second one and didn't like it as much. Right. Um, I the, the the first one I I thought the second one was awful. I thought the first one was kind of a, a waste of time. It but again, it's based on a comic book. It has it has some big name stars in it. Um, the protagonist is, is Taron Edgerton. He's the kid that plays um, Elton John in Rocket Man. Uh, Colin Firth, you know, he's in the movie. I mean, following up, he you know, he, he played the king in the king's speech, and now he ends up, you know, cashing a paycheck in the Secret Service movie. Samuel L. Jackson, who's interesting, been, been in his filmography says he's been over in 127 movies. And Samuel Jackson, if, if there's a paycheck, he will show up. And if you watch him in this movie, he, he's there collecting his, his paycheck. But the, the basic plot is there's this group of, like, super secret agents, kind of like a James Bond thing, and they're out to thwart this plot that Samuel Jackson, who is the villain, has. And the, the plot essentially involves he's taking over, a, and I understand this sounds stupid, but it's going to get to the point that we're, we're, we're talking about. He's taking over these satellites, and he's going to send out radio signals, which – inspire people to hate each other and they're going to kill each other and what he wants to do is he wants to eliminate 90 percent of the people on the earth they're going to kill each other and then his followers they have this special little implant so they're going to be saved if that sounds like a stupid premise and you haven't seen this movie and you don't think it's worth your time it's a stupid premise it's not worth your time so i i get that but but i i happen to have watched that movie there is a scene in the movie where Colin Firth, and he plays, he's one of the good guys. He's in this church in the South, and it's a very, very conservative church, etc. And what happens is this is where Samuel Jackson tests his machine. This is the plot, and they send these waves, and everybody in the church, including Colin Firth, who's supposed to be this hero, they have this this. Five minutes of absolute mayhem where everybody is killing everybody else. And it's incredibly violent and it's repugnant and it's offensive and it's hard to watch and and all those types of things. But it's the scene of like a massacre in the church. And at the end, after the five minutes and they turn off the, the hate machine, everybody's dead except Colin Firth. I mean, so, but it's, and they're killed in spectacular ways because it's kind of this comic booky action movie, right? So that is the background. Well, over the weekend, there was a conference that was being held down in Florida um, at President Trump's Miami Resort. And, you know, this was a conference which was being held by a pro-Trump group called American Priority. number of people were speaking, Donald Trump Jr., Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, all, all that stuff. 
And, I mean, this is, it's to inspire people about the 2020 campaign. Apparently, um, some people put together a video which includes the logo for Trump's 2020 re-election campaign. And what they did is they took this scene that I have just described from the Kingsman movie that had Colin Firth killing all these people in the church. And what they did is they superimposed Donald Trump's face on Colin Firth's body. And then what they did is they apparently took the the faces of all sorts of other people, ranging from Rosie O'Donnell to Barack Obama um, to Joe Biden to all these other people, you know, prominent Democrats. And what they did is they superimposed their faces on people who were in this movie scene. And so what, what you see is, by superimposing these faces, members of the news media were there. So what you, Rachel Maddow, so, you know, their, their faces are there. So what they did is they turned this video into four or five minutes of Donald Trump killing all these people in some of the most graphic ways possible. And, um, you know, people, apparently, you know, people were applauding this. This was, you know, part of an exhibit. Now, once once the word gets out that this is what, you know, was there was, you know, people are starting to denounce it. But a number of people were watching it and and apparently enjoyed it. The campaign says, well, this wasn't part of the campaign per se. You know, we didn't you know, we didn't authorize it. We didn't know what it was going on. But you have, you know. This video where Bernie Sanders screaming as his head is lit on fire, you know, Barack Obama is smashed fist like into a battering ram like a wooden pulpit. Um, it, it just the bloody rampage is labeled as the church of fake news. You know, all these type of things. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand that this was not the Trump campaign that came out with this. This was what they say was an unauthorized video that was shown at a, a Trump event. But they said, you know, this, this wasn't approved by the organizers and it wasn't approved by the campaign. Nevertheless, there were a lot of people who apparently watched it and apparently enjoyed it. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. During the the George W. Bush years, there was incredible hatred that was developed and generated and, and thrown at President Bush. You know, you'd see him being hung in effigy. You'd see all these horrible things that were out there. And I regularly identified that and, and said, look, this stuff crosses the line. You know, I mean, I, I understand that, you know, politics isn't beanbag and people have the right to disagree. But this hatred and this, this use of violence, even if it's comic book violence, even if it's cartoon sort of violence, it's beneath us as as a society, it's beneath us, or at least it should be beneath us as a people. And now you have the flip side of this. And again, I understand the Trump campaign says that they weren't responsible for it, and that, that's fine. Take them at their word for it. But apparently there were Trump supporters who were responsible for this. 
And there were at least a bunch of people who saw it. And, yeah, this is great. You know, it's it's all in fun. All right. There is a controversy developing around this. One school of thought says, hey, people need to lighten up. People need to recognize it's it's funny. This would be the argument that it's funny. Nobody takes this seriously. It's kind of like saying that video games are going to inspire you know people to go out and be mass killers. That's the one argument. The flip side is, you know what? We got to be better than this. And it doesn't matter whether it's the Republicans or, or the Democrats. You know, I mean, I, I understand that the tensions are tough. Believe me, I get it that we're really tribal. But making videos showing one, in this case, the president of the United States, you know, killing all sorts of, of people in graphic ways. Don't we need to be better than that? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And look, and I understand there's a lot of vitriol and there's a lot of hate thrown at President Trump. And 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 I get it. I regularly denounce it when you see it come from the other side. But can we have it both ways? Or is this the new normal? Is it just lighten up? It's just a video. Who cares? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think we have to be better we're back with your calls in just a moment if you're on the line please hold on welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj one of the people in this video that the mock the the fake president trump character kills is is actually john mccain the late john mccain he's in this as well again i i do I think that this inspires some whack job to go out and try to shoot some member of the media? Not necessarily, but I think we need to be better than this, don't we? Let's talk to Tim and Grafton. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Of course, Jeff, we need to be better. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Right. You know, of course we need to be better, Jeff, but this stuff's been going on since 08, 12, uh, even, even George oh. Bush, but George Bush didn't fight back. So, I mean, it's, just, it's been going on forever, Jeff. And the bigger concern to me personally is how this stuff is is covered and i was telling your producer after the trump rally at target center in minneapolis i believe last wednesday jeff there were protesters throwing bottles at mm-hmm. cops and everything and then and, and i heard zero of that and they weren't trump trump supporters out there throwing cops a bottle at the cops okay right. i just it's how it's covered jeff and you know it as a conservative you know it as well as i do it's all how it's perceived and covered now this will be covered as it should be It'll, it'll lead Rachel Maddow's show tonight. She'll talk about this for 45 minutes. But if she was on the other foot, Jeff, it'd get about 15 seconds of airtime, and it'd be swept under the rug. I just want to hear your thoughts. Well, no, Tim, and I, I don't – I mean, Tim, I, I, I agree that there's always been somewhat of a media double standard. But but I, I'm, I'm trying to be consistent to myself, which is why we're talking about this, because there were – and I, I particularly remember multiple instances of – Stuff that I'm, I'm saying not exactly like this, but similar type of stuff that was directed at George W. Bush during the during the Bush years. And and we spent time on this program condemning the lunacy of the people that were out there doing that and citing violence and things of the like. And this to me it is it's the same thing. And we have to be consistent. And I, I agree that the coverage and the attention is perhaps different depending on what foot uh, the, the shoe is on. But as far as I'm concerned, wrong is wrong, and I don't want to see this stuff. I don't want to see this stuff be normalized. Dan in Milwaukee. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, for once, I agree with you 100. percent I really do. And the thing is, that Tony Color is that I didn't know Trump was there, and I didn't know how these high people were there watching this thing. 
Well, Trump wasn't. Trump wasn't there. But but Junior was there. He was speaking. I don't think he watched it, but he was speaking at the conference. Yeah. Well, we're at, uh, any any of these high people that we're watching and laughing about it, and then they don't come on and say nothing about it. There's as as a film. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they must have blogged for it. I mean. Yeah, well, again, I don't know. I mean, thanks. I, I don't know who watched it because th- this is like a three-day conference. Donald Jr. was there speaking, and you had you know Sarah Huckabee Sarah, Sarah, Sarah Huckabee Sanders that was there speaking, and, and I don't know that they saw it. This was just a video that was being shown, you know, in in one of the corners in one of the rooms at this conference. But but I, I do think now that we know it's there, it, it needs to be denounced and it needs to be condemned. And and, and similarly. If you get stuff from from the kook left that that does the, the same thing, and that's happened over the last couple of years, that needs to be identified and it needs to be condemned as well. I I understand that we're very very tribal and all, but you, you know, it's it's like who thinks of this stuff and who thinks the stuff is clever. Let's talk to Scott in Milwaukee. Scott, you're on WTMJ. I I think it's deplorable, and uh, I think there's a certain not all, but a certain following of Trump that reminds me of followers of, like, WW Wrestling. I used to watch it in the old days with All-Star Wrestling with Bobby Heenan and sure. Nick Usher. And it seems like even listening to the president in Minneapolis, he reminded me kind of like, you know, one of these all-star wrestling guys that are... I, know, want you in the, I want you in the cage right now, you turkey neck. Yeah. <laughs> I think he actually did wrestling once, didn't he? Oh yeah, he was. Yeah, he, he's. I think he's in the WWF WWE Hall of Fame. Yeah, he would. Well, he didn't do wrestling, but wasn't he like a guest announcer or something? Yeah. Yeah, but I think it's beneath the president of the United States. Yes, I, I, I right. Th- thanks. For, I, I don't disagree at all. I have a text which which makes the point I was trying to make perfectly, Jeff. This video is, in my opinion, similar to what Kathy Griffin did. It is unacceptable from anyone, regardless of political affiliation. That is an outstanding point. Remember Kathy Griffin, the D-list comedian, who thought it was going to be clever to pose with the the severed Donald Trump head with like fake blood dripping from it, and and we we denounced it. I mean, I, I we we talked about it. You know, Kathy Griffin says it's pretty much destroyed her career because she says that she's like essentially unbookable now. To which I say, too bad. You know, maybe you should have thought of that before you crossed whatever line that there was. And and yes, we spent time and I freely acknowledge it and I don't back off on it all denouncing you know what she ended up doing I think it was unacceptable in any sort of standard I think we have to be better than Kathy Griffin this this is the same thing from the opposite side and I think the president and I think the Trump campaign and I think the organizers of this event, I think they need to get ahead of this and they need to denounce the people that produce this. They need to disassociate themselves with it. And they have to say, we are not going to tolerate this and we don't want people doing this stuff. We are prepared to win this election on the merits and and, and we appreciate the support. and We appreciate the passion. But but you know what? You know, we don't want to do anything that is going to encourage somebody to feel emboldened to to go out and commit acts of violence against somebody in the media or whatever. That's not too much to expect. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, do you know who Robert Forrester is? Uh, Yeah, he's the guy from... Well, I know him from Breaking Bad. You know him from Breaking Bad. Yeah, Robert Forrester is a 
<clears throat> character actor who's actually been in a couple hundred movies. You you probably he's one of those guys that you see the face and you you recognize him because he's had parts and all sorts of stuff. But he was really he never really broke through as a as a as I would say, a, a big star. His, his first really high-profile role, role was in this movie called Medium Cool in 1969, and he, he played a, a TV newsman caught up in the violence around the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago. And his career kind of went downhill from there, lots and lots of bit roles, but never any sort of breakthrough roles. Had a couple TV shows that never really went anywhere, and his career was pretty much in the tank until Quentin Tarantino comes around, and he's he's making the movie Jackie Brown, which was, I, I think, his third movie. He did it after Pulp Fiction, and Quentin Tarantino hired Robert Forrester to play, this is in 1997, to, to play the bails bo- bail bondsman in the movie Jackie Brown, uh, along with Pam Greer, who, you know, was a star of the, the sort of like the black exploitation movies of the 70s. Well, you know, he, he brought them both back, and it had Pam Greer in it, and it had, um, you know, Robert Forrester. And matter of fact, he, he didn't win the Academy Award, but he got an Academy Award nomination for it. Um, so that, that was arguably one of the peaks of his career, um, went on and did some other stuff, never became this huge star, but but he was a working actor. And then to the point my producer Gru makes, um, most recently he was cast in the, the TV show Breaking Bad and appeared, I believe, just in the last season of the TV show. He played a guy who um, he makes people disappear. So if you're if you're a criminal and you need to get away, you pay him a whole bunch of money and he makes you disappear. That that was his role. And he was absolutely great in it. And I guess I was kind of surprised by this news because the Breaking Bad movie, you know, dropped on Friday on Netflix. And, and he's in it. And he plays a, a relatively – it's more than just a cameo role. I mean, he's got a decent-sized role in in the movie. Well, okay, so that drops on Friday. He apparently you know, passed away over the weekend. The movie comes out, and he, he, he died. He was 78 years old and um, apparently had been battling brain cancer for a while, and the Breaking Bad movie was one of his last. Apparently he had roles in two other movies that you know haven't come out yet, but um, passed away at the age of 78. I always loved I love the stuff he was in. I thought he was just, he played cops, he played tough guy villains, he, it was just that kind of role. But he, if you if you watch the movie Jackie Brown, he's just almost perfect in that movie, and he's really good in Breaking Bad as well. But uh, Robert Forster, just, again, if you don't know the name, trust me, if you look at his face, you go, oh, yeah, I've seen that guy before, passed away at the age of uh, 78 over the weekend. And again, the spooky thing is, the, the Breaking Bad movie that he plays a prominent role in is one of probably his best roles that he's best known for. That comes out on Friday, and he dies um, over the weekend. All right. Good news. We Energies is announcing that they believe that residential customers will spend about 11% less on natural gas this winter from last winter. They say that they think it's going to be cheaper, and the, the reason is because – the natural the cost of natural gas 
you know, ha- has gone down and it's it's lower. Now, obviously, if, if it's a much more miserable winter next this year than uh, last year, that could change. But just based on the price of natural gas, they estimate that it's going to be um, cheaper once the heating season starts, which is November 1st through April 30th. The company forecasts the average residential customer will spend $477 this heating season compared to 535 last year. Okay, so that they say that it's going to be cheaper. We Energy, which is all good. We Energies is also saying, by the way, if you really want to save money on, on like heating costs, one of the things you can do is you can turn down your thermostat while sleeping or when away. And um, We Energies recommends that when people are sleeping, they turn their thermostats down by 7 to 10 degrees. All right. So I I was kind of intrigued by this because in the Wagner household, it is men are from Mars, women are from Venus. And we do, we only have one thermostat for the whole house. So there's not zone heating or anything like that. And there are, there are thermostat wars. I like it warm in the house. And if it were up to me, I would leave it the, the same temperature overnight. Because I understand when you're in bed, you're under the covers and things like that. But if you get up to go to the bathroom and it's freezing, okay, that that's that, that can just make a very difficult experience. My wife, on the other hand, um, thinks that I keep it like a sweat box. And she says, you know, at night, you know, we, we don't we're under the covers. We do not need it to be as as warm as you want it to be. And some of her relatives and many of her friends, most of whom are women, um, are, are on her side. I mean, they, they, they will tell me stories about how um, the, even in the dead of winter, some of the ladies like to sleep with the windows open. I, I have one set of friends. Um, I, I won't mention their names. Oh, yes, I will. It's Beth and Dave. Beth likes it so warm that Dave sleeps with a ski cap on <laughs> at night because it's cold in, in the room. And so there, there's this ongoing battle, and, and we kind of fight it in the house a, as well because – Every night when it's time to go to bed, you know, she will go out and she will turn down the, the thermostat. Now, we're still wrestling with, you know, we're newlyweds. We've only been married for two years. We're still wrestling with how much that thermostat gets turned down. But if it were me, I, would, I wouldn't turn it down past 68 or 67. If she had her way, it would probably go down to 60 degrees, maybe even cooler. We've kind of settled somewhere in between as a, as a gesture of marital harmony. The I'm looking at the Madison Gas and Electric website. They recommend, they recommend that when you are sleeping in the winter, you turn the thermostat down to 55 degrees. 55 degrees. When you're home, they recommend that you have the thermostat at 68. But 55 degrees at night. All right. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, if we turned our house thermostat down to 55, I think I'd be finding icicles on the dog's nose. But but I think if my wife had her way, this is the number that, that we would, would use. And I know... Several of her friends, I, I know that that's kind of the number right around there that we use, 55 degrees at night. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
I, I battle these thermostat wars on a regular basis. Interestingly, I like it warmer. She likes it a lot colder. I look at this, and it's 55 degrees at night, and I'm thinking, really? All right. What's the appropriate? Can, is that a reasonable thing? 55 at night, would would you be freezing in your place if, if that's what happened? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment what is the appropriate setting for, I don't know, winter in Wisconsin. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, we energy sales. They think it's going to be cheaper this year than last year to heat your house because natural gas prices are down. And they say if you really want to save money at night, turn your thermostat down 7 to 10 degrees. Madison Gas and Electric recommends overnight when you're sleeping that you turn the uh, thermostat down to 55. 55. Now, I think my wife might embrace that, but 55, I think that's that's nuts. I understand maybe you can save some money, but... Gosh, you get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to go to the bathroom or take the dog out or whatever. It's going to be 55 degrees outside. And I appreciate that you inside. I appreciate you can save some money, but I'm not quite ready to go that far. Jim in Pewaukee. Jim, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Okay, this this is insane. You, you know who <laughs> – well, you know what? Why not put it down to 40 while you're at it and ride a bike to work? <laughs> save some money. I mean, 55 degrees. I, I'd like, no doubt – as you're alluding to, there are certain people who like this kind of climate. They're or, or can sleep under a blanket all night long, like fully. They're head right. under a blanket, and you, I guess you're either six years old or insane and can do that. But you're you're precisely correct. And, and even more to the point, I don't know who can withstand these kind of temperatures in a modern home. And, and we're we're right. we're we're, ha- we're pleased enough to have a home that's four years old. The efficiencies of these homes is such. I did this one month with my wife. I said, look, I'll, I'll play this game. We, I think we went down to 60 or 62. I was chattering at 3 o'clock in the morning. My teeth are chattering. <laughs> we saved about $18 a month. Right. And, and again, with a modern home, the, the, the efficiency level of these homes is such, there is no, and I understand not everyone's in the same situation, but there should be nothing that any reasonable person would regard as significant savings. And, and again, I tell, I told her, keep an eye out on the people who keep their homes. My brother's, my brother's one of these people. I tell him, look, next time I'm coming over, if it's not 68 degrees, I'm burning furniture. <laughs> How come these kids and they are consistently more ill and sick than we are? And it's, I, I would bet you dollars to donuts, it's because their home is 58 to 62 degrees. So what, what is, during the winter, what is your temperature overnight? Not a degree under 67 degrees. Not okay. one. Got it. Not th- one. See, th- thanks for, see, you and I, would be kindred spirits. I can't. I have not been able to win that battle yet. I think right now it, it gets turned down to like sixty four or sixty five. My wife would turn it down lower if if she you know if if she if she didn't think that I would just be you know complaining about it too much. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Joe in New Berlin. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Yeah. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Joe. Uh, long story short. I have my thermostat at, thermostat set at 70 in the winter, and the thermostat is right in the center of our home, and it's like 
you walk away from that thermostat, it starts feeling a little colder <laughs> as you get to the outside walls. So it's like I'm freezing at 70. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, it, it can be that way. I mean, that, that's why, I mean, I started off by saying, like, in our house, we don't have zone heating. There's a thermostat in the living room. The bedroom is actually closer to the basement. So the bedroom is a cup, and I can see this, the bedroom is a couple degrees warmer than the living room is. But still... I would much rather have it warm. Jeff, our house was 60 degrees over the weekend, and I do sleep with a window cracked. My husband sleeps with a knit cap on, too. <laughs> that's, that's it. Okay, I've got a number of calls, but you know, interestingly, they're all guys. I, I, I'm wondering if this is a women are from Venus, men are from Mars sort of thing. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I mean, is this, now? My, again, just anecdotally, some of my experience is that, interestingly enough, Women tend to like it colder overnight than than guys do. But, again, maybe that doesn't play out. So female input, always welcome. 414-799-1620. Richard in Milwaukee. Richard, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Richard. I'm with you on this. Uh, I uh, learned years ago that, well, I tried years ago, tried turning the heat way down at night twice. I caught a cold from it. Right. So I learned my lesson, and now it's always 70 degrees overnight with a bed cap. Haven't had a cold in years. Um, <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, right, because it's kind of warm and it's sort of comfortable, and, you know, do you pay a couple bucks extra? Yeah, now, I'm I'm not saying you run it to 75 or whatever, but I'm, to me, that happy medium is like around that 67, 68 range. You know, it's, it it's, the furnace doesn't have to overdo. I mean, I don't need it 74 or 75, but I don't want to be freezing. Right. Yeah. I, I do turn the heat down when I leave the house. And it'll heat back up pretty fast. Uh huh. So yeah. I save there. Got it. Thanks for call. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Female perspective. Michelle in Grafton. Hi, Michelle. I have a one word answer for you, Jeff. Okay. Hormones. Hormones. <laughs> you know, have all my friends who've gone through menopause, whether they be in their fifties or you know um, early sixties or whatever, and they've been going through it for like ten years. Their hot flashes last like a decade. And their offices are freezing. Their houses are freezing. <laughs> they wore short sleeve shirts in the middle of the winter. Um, my former ex-manager, God bless her, she had them put, like, these special air-blowing things in her in her office. <laughs> and I'd go in for my review, and I'd have to wear, like, a down jacket. <laughs> and I never, ever experienced that at all. Um, I had none. So I keep my house at 70. I like it at 70. I don't have to change the thermostat. I don't even turn the air on in the summer. I open the windows. Okay. I like the fresh air. It's hormones. <laughs> okay, well, that could, could thanks. It could, could could be Jeff. My wife here's a text. My wife and I both like it cold, although her more than me. The window is also open in the winter. Plus, she has a fan on. Well, we have a ceiling fan that, that's on as as well. Now, see, part of the problem with all this is that I get up before my wife does. Um, you know, I get up earlier and. You know, take the dog out and make coffee, and sometimes I go back to bed, but most of the times I just kind of get on with my day. So I'm always the one who's getting up, and and then yes, then then you turn the heat on a little bit, and you have to kind of wait for everything else to you know warm up. But I'm just saying, 55, and that's what Madison Gas and Electric is saying. If you want to save dough, 55. Let's talk to Don in Waterford. Don, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Hi Don. Uh, 
couple things. So I got a one month old at home. So the wife's keeping it at 74. We're on the budget plan. I think we're saving. Uh, I don't know how much money we're saving, if at any, but let's put it in perspective for you like this. If all, if you drop your uh, temperature down to 55 every single night, so everything in your house is going to be at that 55 degree temperature. How much more is it going to make my furnace work every single day to get it back up to 70, 72, 74? Yeah, as opposed to if you just had it at that consistent sort of thing. Yeah, there, there's thanks to no, there, there is that. I, I mean, I get, I just, I just want to be comfortable, and I, I mean. And do you want to save money? Yes. Do I like the fact that I, I live for 30 years in this big old drafty house? And do I like the fact that my utility bills and where I am now are much lower? Absolutely. I love it. Jeff, female input here. My fiance and I are on the same page. 60 during the day, 55 at night. And by the way, he's bald, no stocking cap for him. He's tough. 60 during the day, 55 at night. So I keep mine at 68, usually 70 the later it gets on at night, and okay. then I think I drop it to 65, 66. Right. See, you, you and I would have the same sort of metabolism. I, I, can't, I can't quite get away with it that much. But, yeah, that's, that's, kinda, that's sort of how I would be. But in any event, if you're one of those who, who wants it colder and you're fighting with your significant other, your spouse over that, and you're looking for ammunition – I don't get it, but Madison Gas and Electric says 55 is the magic number at night. All I can say is, brr. My wife's looking pretty good, I guess, with, with this, because she, she's not insisting on 55. She realizes that that battle would just not – would. she doesn't want to fight that battle. If she can she can get it down to six, in the mid-63, 64, she would, she'd be happy. And because, you know, because I want harmony in the house – I go along with it. What can you say? This is Jeff Wagner. Hey, when we come back, we got lots of other stuff. Why would anybody live there? We're going to be talking about gun control and this story that you've been hearing about in the news, the police officer who shoots the woman in Fort Worth. It It's tough to understand. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Tim, Tony Bedick, let me test your powers of observation. Oh, you, you've, been okay. here, you've been here all afternoon, right? Um, yeah, well, in the afternoon, yeah. Yeah, all, all afternoon, yeah. right. Okay, what do you notice about the building, or at least the radio side of the building? Hmm. Anything? It's quiet. Well, yeah, it's forget quiet. It's empty. I mean, this, this is like Christmas Eve. This is like New Year's Day morning. This the building is at least the the radio half of the building. Yep, the programming it's, area. It's empty. Yeah. There's like nobody here. And I, I walked over just during the break. I walked into the sales department, and there's one salesperson and uh, the gal that keep Lynn, the gal that keeps everything going they they're the only ones there there's one person in the programming area there's mm-hmm. one or two people maybe in the news department there's Gru and me and, and that's and that is pretty much it this is it is i mean this i, I would say it is deader in the building this afternoon seriously than th- this is like a, you know holidays we have yeah, more people here on holidays yep. yeah it it does now of course 
that doesn't mean people aren't aren't working. Matter of fact, this is a very big deal because, as you've been hearing, we've got Monday night football, and um, our our coverage starts at at four o'clock. It is a Monday night home game. It is going to be televised on ESPN, and we share a corporate identity. Good Karma Brands, which owns WTMJ, also owns our our sister. Station with 94.5 ESPN and own a series of other ESPN affiliates across the country, Palm Beach and West Palm, I guess, and um, most recently acquired the rights to operate the Chicago one and Cleveland and then one or two more Madison. And so this is a big deal. The the ESPN game day folks are, are here and they don't call it the, the Monday night countdown, I guess is what they call it. And they're going to be doing their show from what we call the Tundra Trio, and this is our company that owns these three houses kind of in the shadow of Lambeau Field that are available for entertaining and things like that. And so the whole ESPN crew is set up at the Tundra Trio. So what happens is all our interns, all our staff, everybody is up there making that happen, and I think they had a number of advertisers, partners that were in. They were taking them up, but it's pretty much like – if there's something that you wanted to get done, if there was like a chair that you wanted to liberate or something, and you, you know, th- this is the day to do it because there's nobody here at least in the afternoon. Yeah, and I, I guess I didn't really notice it until you mentioned. I'm like, and I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? It is a little bit quieter than a little bit quieter. <laughs> there's nobody here. <laughs> there's, but but that that that's what. But it but it is a big big deal, and it's not that that people aren't working. It, it's that this is a big event, and again, especially with our affiliation, our corporate identity with with ESPN. So. If you're listening to the game tonight and you tune in ESPN, which undoubtedly you, you will if you have access to that, especially for some of the pregame stuff, that that's all this activity. It, it's these are places that are owned by our company, and it's actually it's very very cool. I know everybody was extremely excited. There were a lot of um, people from the ESPN advisory board that were walking through here this morning. I didn't get to see anybody because I was given a speech. Didn't get into a little bit after that, but it is kind of a big deal, and so. Packers games are always big deals at WTMJ, but today especially. But it is interesting for those of us left behind. There was a there was a lamer's bus in the parking lot. Did you see that? When I, I missed that. No. no, that was in when I pulled in. I'm thinking, well, obviously they're. I might. I'm pretty sure that they were using that to take all the people that were here up there. So hopefully, 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 the Packers will bring in a will bring out in a big win. All right, we we talked about this a couple times last week, and I admit. I am intrigued by this because it is a lifestyle choice. Last week, large chunks of California were subject to a blackout. What happened was, and I'll I'll give you kind of the Reader's Digest version of this if you weren't listening last week. California has a strict liability law on utilities. If something belonging to a utility causes, say, a fire, it doesn't matter if the utility was at fault or not. Doesn't You don't have to prove negligence. All you have to prove is it's known as strict liability. The utility caused the fire. So, for example, you have an 80-mile-an-hour wind that comes along. It blows over a power, plant, a power line. And then what happens is the power lines kind of come away from the pole. They spark. And they set a piece of wood or a brush on fire, and then the wind blows the brush, and next thing you know, you've got this huge fire. It doesn't matter if the, you don't have to prove that the pole was defective or the line was defective. Um, it doesn't matter 
anything. All you know is the utilities pole got blown over. They're responsible. And so the last fire about a year ago that broke out, Pacific Gas and Electric, PG&E, got nailed with like $30 billion worth of lawsuits. Right now they are in bankruptcy. And they say, look, here's the problem. You know, we, we've got the way this is structured. You know, we've got these poles. And what happens is we can't guarantee that when the wind blows 60 miles an hour, it's not going to blow over one of these poles. You know, and we can't control the dry conditions that have been in this area for years and years. So the bottom line is we can't guarantee, you know, when the wind gets up a certain level that it's not going to knock a power pole down. We can't guarantee it's not going to spark. And we can't guarantee it's not going to start a fire. So what they did last week is they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You know, whenever the wind gets over a certain level, we're going to start shutting off the power to people. And the other utilities in California decided to follow suit. The idea being, well, we'll make it less likely that a fire is going to start. I mean, fires can start for all sorts of reasons. It could be a lightning strike. It could be, you know, some kid playing with matches. But at least the utility will say, hey, if there's another fire, you can't blame us because we're going to shut off the power. Okay, all well and good. You don't get the fire. But as a result, you get a million, a million and a half people who are without power for day after day after day. Let me read you a portion of a story in today's Wall Street Journal. Headline, I'm out. PG&E blackouts stagger Californians. PG&E power cut may just be the beginning for the beleaguered state. Eureka, California, deadline, dateline. Melanie Bettenhausen was learning to live with the devastating wildfires that periodically sweep through Northern California. She isn't sure she can endure the alternative offered by PG&E, mass blackouts. Last year, a fire caused by a transmission line swept through Paradise, California, destroying her childhood home. She had already moved away, though, and was running the North Coast Co-op in this coastal town. Her aunt was forced to flee the old family house. On Wednesday, her life was disrupted again when the utility cut the power to a vast swath of the state, stretching from south of San Francisco almost to the Oregon border, explaining that high winds and dry brush made it too dangerous to run electricity through the company's lines. Ms. Bettenhausen, 44 years old, worked 34 hours straight to keep the store open, using generators to run the registers and dry ice to cool the food. When she arrived Thursday, the walk-in refrigerator was full of spoiled dairy products, all of it. Tens of thousands of dollars worth of food would have to be thrown away. She says, I don't know yet if we're going to make it through this. Um, California residents are now coming face-to-face with an uncomfortable reality. Large swaths of the state, by itself the fifth largest economy in the world, and home to the globe's most technologically advanced companies, may be subject to the sort of abrupt blackouts normally associated with underdeveloped countries. And then the story goes on in great length to talk about how this is this is going to be, you know, the, the new strategy. You know, yes, they're trying to do other sorts of things, but they're they're years and years behind in clear cutting and getting rid of dead wood and things like that. But the utility companies are saying, look, we're this is our plan moving forward, at least for the foreseeable future. Whenever we get high wind warnings, which, by the way, is a lot during the fall and the winter and the spring, we're going to turn off the electricity, meaning that we can't guarantee that you're going to have electricity today, tomorrow or whenever. And if we have to turn it off. 
you know, you might be without power for two, three, four days, and this might happen on a regular basis. And the story that, you know, a lot of people are talking about, and they're saying, this is it. We're, you know, we've dealt with all this other stuff in California. We are moving. We're not living through this. And we're moving to Oregon or we're moving wherever. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you could move, if this was really the reality, and this is, and you're faced with the situation of, hey, I don't know from day to day whether the power is going to be on or off, and it may very well be at any given time that I'm going to lose power for three, four, five days, maybe more, it depends. Would you live in that environment, or would that be to the extent that you could move? Would that be the thing that encourages you to pack up and look for other areas to live? Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, to me, what's amazing about this is, is this is it's like living in a third world country if you don't know from day to day whether you're going to have power or not. I can't – I mean – I Think about those times when we have the, the bad weather, the, the huge rainstorm or the thunderstorms or the blizzards or whatever that takes down the power poles. So you don't you, you don't have you know power for a while. I, I can't imagine living like that on a regular basis. And I admit it's California. It's not Wisconsin. But, yeah, I mean, I guess you can go out and you can tell everybody spend ten, twenty thousand dollars on trying to get generators. But, I mean, you, you're you don't have that, you know, you you're, don't have refrigeration, you know, around here, you know, you don't have a furnace and it gets cold in the winter in San Francisco and things like that. Would, would you live in conditions like that? Or is that is this going to be the latest thing to cause people to move from, you know, one of the nations, if not is California, California, I think is the nation's most populous state. 414-799-1620. I'll tell you, if this was me and they were telling me, Jeff, you know, we can't guarantee that the power is going to be on. I'd be saying, okay, maybe it's time to relocate. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How about you? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Here's a text, Jeff. The majority of the people left in California want to end all fossil fuels and emissions. Welcome to a third world country. I hope they keep taking their power off, and maybe you would appreciate what the United States has. Paul in Oconomowoc. Hi, Paul. Uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for uh, taking my call. Sure. You know, it would seem that, I mean, the utility is making an economic decision here because they lost, I understand, billions of dollars over litigation. And they should be shielded from liability, like most bodies of government are. Yes. You know, they always call utilities quasi-public. And, and I'll bet you, in California, they're going to pass a law within six months shielding utilities from, you, from liability because, you know, their product is for the community good here. It's a utility. We all benefit from it. You can't sue it because they start fires. You know, they don't do it consciously. Well, right, especially if especially if you don't have to prove negligence. I mean, see, that's the thing. Right. I mean, the, the utility says, hey, look, a 70-mile-an-hour wind, yeah, I can't guarantee you that our power line isn't going to come down, and I can't guarantee you it's not going to spark. I mean, it, perfectly good power lines come down in 70-mile-an-hour winds. 
And, you know, and those, those rate, uh, the users of the utility benefited from the millions of dollars. I, you know, I don't know where the money went that, that they were caused to pay. But, you know, they loved it when the utility paid it. But now that the utility's turning off the power. Oh, yeah. They're going to. They're going to change it. Well, well, they almost, I mean, thanks. I mean, they they almost have to because from the utilities perspective, I I would be doing the same thing. They're in bankruptcy right now. You got $30 billion judgment. And, and, and again, they're, they're like, okay, what are we supposed to do? You're going to sue us if the polls, you know, if the polls come up, come down in high winds, we, you know, they, they, it is what it is. I mean, it's like saying, well, you know, you're going to get sued if your basement gets flooded during a hurricane. Well, all right, they can't guarantee that if you get, you know, a hurricane with hurricane force winds and like lots and lots of rain, they can't guarantee the basement's not going to flood. Here's the thing, Jeff. Let's see. Earthquakes, snakes, Nancy Pelosi, and now rolling blackouts. I don't think so. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the issue here. The, the Wall Street Journal I'm looking at and this and I guess, see, this is this is what it comes down to at the end of the day is is whether people are willing to tolerate this guy says a 69 year old guy. They quote him saying, I'm embarrassed to be a Californian. He complains to no one in particular as he waited in line to buy ice at a market in Moss Beach, California, one of the few grocery stores that was open on Thursday afternoon along the south coast, uh, along the coast south of um, San Francisco. In a small Morgan Hill, which is a small city south of San Jose, police were enforcing a nighttime curfew to prevent looting. You know, that's, that, 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 that's it. There's, there's no lights anymore. You know, one of the guys says, we're in Silicon Valley. We're inventing thing all, all the time. There's probably a thousand patents being made every day and, and yet they're turning off the power. I mean, it's, it's just one of those deals. And again, I, I bring this up. Look, I don't claim to have the answer other than to say that in 2019, the, the the idea that you will on a regular basis in some of this nation's major metropolitan areas not have reliable sources of power to me is completely and totally un just absolutely unacceptable and and the idea that do, do hey Jeff don't you care about the forest fires well of course I care about the fires and the giant wildfires and things like that in some cases California is reaping what it sowed because for years and years. You know, the environmentalists wouldn't let them go in and clear the brush and take out the trees and things like that. So now you have all this, like, dead, dry timber and tinder that is just waiting for, like, that spark to then ignite. And you've got this whole, you know, this forest that's out there that's waiting to burn. And so, yes, that's that's the failed policies of, of decades that's there. But right now... They're saying you're going to be without power for day after day after day, and it's this week, and it might be next week, and it might be two weeks from now. That's the point in time where, if I can, I start saying, you know, you know, maybe, maybe Wisconsin is looking pretty good. It's Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Packers game day coverage starts at 4 o'clock. All right. Hate to say I told you so, but I actually don't hate to say I told you so on this particular one. All right. We are coming up on the one-year anniversary of the Milwaukee streetcar, Tom's Trolley Folly. And if if you recall, there's a couple things that, that happened. First of all, you had these ridership estimates that came out. 
And there's been much talk about how, oh, we're exceeding the ridership estimates. Of course, the estimates at the time assumed that people would be paying to ride the trolley. That has not, of course, happened. For the first year, the Potawatomi, as part of a sponsorship agreement, stepped up and underwrote the cost. All right. Now what's happening is the city is acknowledging that we, we can't charge for this because if we charge for it, ridership is going to drop dramatically. If we expect people to pay a, do- a dollar for this, they're, they're not going to ride it. So we want to have people ride it. So now they're scrambling to figure out where the money is going to come from. Now, I think you can make a strong argument that despite public comments to the contrary, they never really intended to charge for this because they, they never went ahead and ordered the equipment that you were going to need to be able to collect fares. And it was always going to be kind of a haphazard thing. They weren't going to be hap- – it's not like the Las Vegas monorail. If you go to Las Vegas and you ride the monorail, what happens is you have to buy a ticket, go through a tur- – put that ticket in a turnstile, then to get to the area where you access the monorail. Now, I mean, theoretically, you could jump the turnstile, but but you've got to buy a ticket. It's a controlled thing. This was never going to be like that because it runs along the public streets, of course. So it was always going to kind of be an honor system because you have the the driver of the train, but the driver wasn't going to be responsible for collecting fares. So it was always wink, wink, nod, nod. Here, you know, we'll have this box that you can pay the money into, and they were hoping people did. They now, I think, have recognized that if you charge, like I say, even a dollar for a ride, the the ridership is just going to fall off a cliff. And, you know, for at least the mayor and for a couple other people who want to try to justify expanding this throughout the system, well, having ridership fall off the cliff is the last thing you want to see. Well, anyhow, when when this thing debuted, you know, last fall, you had, I think it was like last November, you had you know, a, a large number of rides on opening weekend because people wanted to go down and they wanted to, okay, you know, see what this is like. And they wanted to try it out. And that makes sense. I understand. It was, it was new. Oh, let's look at the nice, new, bright, shiny object. And then what you saw happen is you saw ridership, not surprisingly, you know, decline during the, the, the cold weather months. You know, you went through December, you went through January, the, the ridership would decline. It makes sense. There's not as many people out. February, we don't know the numbers because they had a, a malfunction, and so they couldn't tell us what the numbers were for February and for a part of March. And then, you know, as the weather got better, the, the ridership uh, picked up. Let's see, in July... They, they had the high. They had 3,343 rides in July, which, you know, good good number. But, of course, what do we have going on in July? You've got Summerfest. You've got the ethnic festivals. You've got all these activities that are going on. And, again, and it was free. After July, the numbers have now started going down uh, dramatically. They dropped from 3,300 um, rides per day in July August went down to 2,584. September went down to 2,233. Now, this, again, it's still above the projection, but the projection assumed that people were paying. So even at free, you have, as the weather starts to turn, you have the number of rides dropping 
dramatically. And my guess is that's going to continue to be the case as you move through October, November, December, proving once again that to the extent there's a desire, a real need or desire for this, you know, in large numbers, it's during the summer months. It's during the warm weather months where, you know, people want to get down. People are out and about, and they're going to these different places, something that makes complete and total sense to me, which is all the more reason why putting in a fixed rail system that essentially has to run, you know, you know, 352 days a year was just so incredibly silly. I mean, if you've got something going on downtown, you've got stuff going on at the lakefront that you want to get people to. Well, all right, that that's add rubber tire trolleys, add stuff that you can pull out and, and that you can run on, again, a basis when there's people there that, that need it. If you've got something, you know, going on, even if it's in the fall and a weekend or something, okay, then then bring out the rubber tire, tro- tire trolleys. Have enough for people to, to go. But now you have this fixed rail system. The novelty appears to be wearing off. You have the weather, the colder weather coming, and we're still not able to charge for it. I mean, you put all this stuff together, and, you know, you know, maybe, you know, may, maybe they're going to have like a spike for the Bucks games and stuff. But at least right now, it doesn't really go towards. It doesn't go over to the arena. And whether or not you want to make the you know, multi-million-dollar commitment to take it over there, whether it's worth that, you know, time will tell. But right now. Again, as the colder weather is coming on, to the surprise of no one, even with free, the ridership is dropping and dropping and dropping. And my guess it's going to continue that way until, again, the weather breaks, you know, next spring. And if the Bucks have a playoff game or something like that and there's huge activities at the at the Deer District, okay, maybe you might have an occasional spike. But in general... I think watch what happens over the course of the next year. Watch where the money is going to come from to operate it and whether or not they have to actually dip into the budget of the city to come up with the dough to run it. And then ask yourself the question, is it is it really worth it? Because like I say, right now, the numbers starting to decline. And my guess is they're going to probably continue to decline. No surprise at all. Something completely predictable for a lot of us. This is Jeff Wagner.